Thank you for joining us on the MEM Podcast. Where you'll get motivation for your journey. Sharing stories from men of color. Tips and advice for navigating the field of medicine. And how to bounce back from adversity. As well as various topics and special guests. What's up, everyone? Happy holidays and welcome back to the Minority Males in Medicine Podcast. Before we say goodbye to 2020, we wanted to give you all one more episode. So Keem and I talked to our friend Dylan Isaac. Dylan is a fourth-year medical student at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville, and he is currently applying for a residency position in MedPeds. He graduated from Claflin University and went on to get a master's degree from Duke University. We had a great conversation with Dylan, and I hope you enjoy. Dylan, how's it going? So excited to have you on the podcast, man. It's going good, man. It's good to be here. It's Definitely been a minute excited. since we got to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. Like, are you second year now? Yep, second year in medical school. All right, so step one's coming up. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> my bad, my bad. When it came to mind, I was like, I probably shouldn't say anything. <laughs> I feel bad. like we're dating ourselves here. When did we all meet in that some DMP? Was that 20... 2013, 14, 15, I think it was 2015. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All I remember is the late night uh, runs to the restaurants. We went to like a Spanish or I think it was a Spanish restaurant or something like that. It was a long time ago. The burritos. Yeah. Look out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> burritos. Yeah. But all right. So let's let's get into the first question. So, Dylan, can you tell us a little about yourself and your upbringing and what got you interested in medicine? Yeah, um, so obviously your name's Dylan Isaac, fourth year med student at USC Greenville, uh, that's in South Carolina. Um, I grew up in a very small town, Blackville, South Carolina, which is near Aiken, South Carolina. And if you don't know where that is, that's near Augusta, Georgia. Um, youngest of four, I have two older brothers, an older sister, um, two parent household. Um, went through a fairly like low income high school, not a lot of resources. Um, I remember really having to stick close to my guidance counselor to find resources to help ultimately promote me into the direction of higher education. Ended up going to Claflin University, which is an historically black college in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, at Claflin, that's kind of where I found myself a little bit more, uh, got out of my shell, um, got involved in student leadership and community outreach. Um, actually ended up running for student government association president during my senior year. So it was obviously something that I found a lot of passion in. Um, upon graduating from Claflin, I got my master's from Duke University uh, with their master's in biomedical sciences program. I was in their inaugural class, so um, a lot of first. Um, and then I did research in Duke's Department of Surgery for about a year before enrolling into medical school. And kind of what got me into medicine, I've always been one of those people who were interested in seeing how things worked and also kind of being the person to fix things. Um, I always wanted to be a superhero. And I remember in mm -hmm. elementary school, um, my grandmother being diagnosed with type two diabetes and ultimately having to get on dialysis. And um, very naturally, I was wondering like, you know, how did she go from not being dependent on these dialysis machines to kind of having to do it three times a week? Um, so my idea of, uh, what a superhero was kind of adapted or evolved as I saw family members go through uh, illness and develop chronic illness. Um, and this is kind of similar when my uncle had triple bypass surgery, kind of similar notion, like what went wrong, how can we fix it? 
Um, and even more so when my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer and started going through mm. um, treatment. So uh, not a one moment, one, not one moment kind of led me to medicine. It's kind of a series of events that kind of um, underscored uh, where my passions lied and just trying to help people. Wow, it's, it's really big. It's usually like a lot of different stories and experiences that we have to draw from. And it seemed like you had those different moments that really helped solidify that for you, that medicine was like something that you wanted to pursue. So it's good. So going back to um, your college experience, so ultimately, like what made you decide to attend uh, Claflin and what would you, what was your experience like there, both as a student overall and specifically as a pre-medical student there? Yeah, so at first I was not too thrilled about going to Claflin. Um, I got the Gates Millennium Scholarship, which meant, which meant I could go anywhere I wanted to. Mm. Um, but I also wanted to be close to family. Mm. But so the, the biggest uh, thing I was trying to figure out is like how close is too close or how far is too far. <laughs> um, but ultimately I had a conversation with my dad and we both agreed that Claflin could kind of serve as the launching pad to wherever I wanted to go. Um, and I think it was ultimately a good decision. Like, as I mentioned before, it, it really allowed me to get out of my shell. Like I'm very uh, intensely an introvert. And I'm not I would have sure never guessed was... that. <laughs> exactly. I would have never guessed that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm not sure if I would have thrived as I did at Claflin at a big university. Um, but it, it was a good experience. Like I said, a lot of student leadership, a lot of community service. I think that ultimately served me well for where I'm at now. Yeah, absolutely. And then you kind of touched on it um, earlier when you kind of just talking about briefly about your journey and where you've been. And I think it's important for people to know that, you know, everyone takes a different journey to medical school. Not everyone's just going to go straight from college to undergrad. I didn't, and many people don't. Um, so could you just kind of just take us through your journey from um, first deciding to, you know, study for the MCAT and apply to medical school um, and then all the way until ultimately gaining admission uh, to medical school at USC um, and kind of what challenges you faced along the way going through that process? Yeah. Um, so I did fairly well. Um, at my undergrad at Claflin, um, didn't really fail any classes. Um, and if there were any like indications that I, was, I wasn't doing too well in the class, by midterm, I was able to pick it up. Um, but when I got to senior year, I just didn't feel mentally prepared for medical school. Mm. Um, so that's why I bypassed um, going straight in and did the master's program at Duke. I felt like I just needed a little bit more graduate coursework to kind of support my, um, not only my academic strengths, but also uh, kind of just improve those skills that I would think would serve me well in med school. Um, I did apply during the master's program, which in hindsight was kind of a mistake mm. um, because I didn't have a chance to receive all the benefits of pursuing a master's degree. This was kind of like right in the middle of it. Mm. Um, and I think that served me well because my MCAT went up 10 points just from participating in this master's program. Uh, so not wow. really too much effort um, besides just doing well in the program. Um, but I think it's important for people to kind of have that moment of introspection and recognize whether or not you're ready. And I'm actually very thankful for the gap years that I've taken. Um, so I took one to do the master's program and then I did another to do research. And I learned a lot about myself during, during that, that gap. Um, I have a huge passion for fitness and nutrition. And I'm not sure if that's something I would have been able to come across if I would have gone directly into med school. So I encourage people to take a gap year if that's something that they're interested in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of people may not know, but gap years are more common actually than going straight through. So I think I agree. I think it's a great opportunity to get other experiences. And like you said, also too, to just enhance your application um, to make you successful when you apply. So I definitely agree. All right, all right. 
Dylan, could you talk a little bit more about the transition from the master's program to the first year as a medical student? How prepared did you feel to handle the curriculum? And overall, like, what was your transition like from comparing to undergrad to medical school? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, so each each academic um, tier was a new level. Um, class planning, it was a good pace. I was able to digest everything pretty well. Um, the Duke master's program definitely accelerated, but still manageable once, you know, I made uh, some adjustments to my schedule and kind of became more organized. Med school, completely different um, ball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we covered the entire curriculum of the master's program during the first semester of med school. Um, wow. Yeah, it was a lot. But, <laughs> That's a lot. But I, yeah. But if it, it felt, I still felt prepared because a lot of things we covered in the first semester, we covered in the master's program. So I didn't have like a jolting um, change in pace. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time I got to the second uh, semester of med school, I was, that was an adjustment period. Yeah. What was, what exactly did you do differently? Like what strategies are like approaching the, the material did you do differently than master's or undergrad? Yeah, so... I realized I couldn't do everything in a huge chunk of time. So mm-hmm. I started separating uh, my study sessions to like 25 minute blocks. Um, it's called the Pomodoro. Pomodoro. <laughs> exactly. And I found that if I did like two hours of that, I got a lot more in than saying I just sit down for four hours or so and try to absorb everything that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I made, I was more intentional with my study schedule. I was like, all right, from 10 to 12, this is going to be studying biochemistry and then after that I'm going to do two hours in the anatomy lab so kind of being intentional with how I section my time and then one thing that just was a work in progress and I didn't really get it until second or third year was collaboration um, I think a lot of people go into studying and say oh, I gotta I gotta grind 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 just be by myself I can get this but whenever I study with two or three other people and have mm-hmm. conversations and put a lot of the material in the context I found that I was able to retain it more so mm-hmm. collaboration is probably the most helpful thing, especially studying for board exam. Awesome. I definitely hear that a lot. And in undergrad, I know for sure I wasn't as collaborative and I definitely want to make that something that I'm more doing later on in, in medical school. I know during the preclinical years, um, you know, it's book work, book work, book work, but a lot of medical students are really looking forward to getting on the wards and interacting with the patients. Um, I wanted to hear about your experiences with your patients. What has been the most memorable experience with you interacting with a patient? Man, I have so many. Um, <laughs> the, what got me through the preclinical years was knowing that we have amazing patient interactions. And honestly, I can say that I have. Um, so I do want to, I want to do internal medicine and pediatrics. It's a combined residency um, called MedPeds for short. Um, so a lot of my patient interactions come from either like really young patients or pretty old patients. And I remember during my pediatrics rotation, I was in the outpatient clinic and there was a seven-year-old who was running on a treadmill when he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, he fell and he, he uh, ended up coming in office and I was able to uh, pretty much diagnose him with a knee contusion. Um, so I went in there, told his grandma, you know, it was just a knee bruise, rest, ice, compression, elevation, and ibuprofen every six hours. And they were all in agreement with the plan. And the seven-year-old jumps off the table and he gives me the biggest, most genuine hug. And I'm looking at the grandma text, like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, yeah, he's a hugger. And I'm like, oh, okay, clearly. Um, but that was kind of the moment that solidified that I wanted to do something with pediatrics. Um, and then during my fourth year, 
um, had a 67-year-old woman who was diagnosed with malignant follicular lymphoma. And um, it was a bit of a sad experience because she ultimately decided to go into hospice care. Um, but I think the empowering moment uh, during that experience was that she was able to go on her own terms. Um, so kind of just a spectrum of patient experiences that kind of encouraged me to do both sides of the spectrum, both pediatrics and medicine. Nice. Those are some really good experiences right there. And I'm sure you're going to hold them with you on this interview trail and just keep them in the back of your mind. Um, what about healthcare disparities? You know, in medicine, there's so many different disparities that exist, especially in the African-American community. Are there any health disparities that you're particularly interested in pursuing or working towards as a physician, helping to solve or combat? Yeah, um, so being a black male um, from South Carolina um, and kind of having an interest in adolescent medicine and transitional medicine, which I think Matt Pete would set me up well for, I have a big interest in kind of young adult health um, mm. as it relates to sexual health and kind of catching chronic illnesses before they get too poorly. Um, like some of my best friends, they still don't have primary care physicians. And I'm always that friend that's kind of nagging them. Like you, you don't just go to the doctor when something's wrong. You often want to go to the doctor before anything becomes wrong. Um, so I definitely want to get young adults uh, access to uh, more consistent primary care and kind of increase the literacy as it comes to adolescent uh, health and like sexual health. Very important. Mm -hmm. Preventative medicine is key, everyone. Preventative medicine. Um, in regards to social media, I know today's age and it's like very easy to get distracted with like what's going on in the world and just keeping up. Um, I realized that over the couple of years that I've known you that you kind of went inactive on Instagram for some time. Um, I wanted to see if there's any pros and cons of social media and if you would want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely think there's some pros. Um, one thing I love to get on is like uh, TikTok. There's a lot of like mental health and a lot of the other med students on TikTok that kind of poke fun at some of the things that we have to go through as medical students. So it's kind of <laughs> It's kind of relieving to kind of see that you're not the only person experiencing something, certain things. Mm -hmm. But I think the con is um, we have a tendency to go into this mindset of comparison. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's more so kind of how you tailor your social media. Um, kind of being a med student in my upper 20s, it's very easy for me to compare myself to like my high school classmates who already have kids and yeah. houses. And I'm still in this space where I'm still trying to build a future. So I think it all depends on how you, on how you curate your social media. Um, but ultimately it can be used for good if you're very intentional with it. And I'm trying to pick it back up. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I find myself doing a little bit more interactive things with friends um, in person or virtually. So I don't really think about social media too much. I love it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and kind of going off of uh, like kind of the theme of talking about like personal um, health and wellness. Um, one of the things that you've been extremely passionate about ever since I've known you for sure is health and fitness. Um, so I was wondering if you could just touch on kind of like, what do you think the benefits are for um, busy students, whether it be medical students or pre-medical students, as well as just people in general? And, and what do you think the benefits are of, of health and, and fitness? Yeah, um, so of course you get to realize the physical benefits of staying active, whether it just be walking for 30 minutes a day or like an hour and a half of intense resistance training. I think they both have their um, certain level of benefit. But I find that uh, exercise is probably the most underused antidepressant there is, um, mm. especially during a pandemic. You definitely got to be more intentional about uh, moving and being active and, and kind of get out of your own head. 
I think that uh, a lot of people could benefit from just being a bit more intentional with being active. For sure. Yeah. Um, in regards to medical school, it's been so like burdensome when it comes to the debt burden. I wanted to see if you had any tips or suggestions for new medical in incoming students about how they could keep down the debt or to, you know, basically be a little bit more intentional about how they use their money. Like what tips or advice do you have for them? Let's see, that's a good question because I had some issues managing my money <laughs> at the beginning of med school. Um, so what I would do, as soon as I would get my refund check, I would move it all into my savings account. And then I would just take everything that I needed for that month and put into my check-ins account. So it kind of limited what I had access to, or at least added an extra step, which meant it was less likely for me to tap into those extra funds. Um, I got in really good with my financial aid counselor. He gave me this very impressive spreadsheet. Where I was able to kind of keep track of where all my expenses were going. Mm. Um, and then I also, um, one thing that I didn't think about until a couple of years ago was kind of being like predominantly more plant-based. Um, whenever I started getting more plant-based meals, mm. I found that my uh, grocery budget went down probably by 50%. I went from spending $100 every two weeks to about 50. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Actually, going off of that, obviously the listeners won't, won't be able to see, I guess, if they see the pictures, but you're definitely a muscular built guy, a uh, bigger guy. So like, how do you like stay full off of just eating? You know, there's a lot of conceptions that, you know, I have to eat meat to kind of stay full and uh, for those who want to build muscle. So how do you, how do you do that? I mean, so protein shakes are a good supplement if you're uh, not getting enough protein throughout your diet. But oddly enough, like there's certain vegetables like um, black beans, um, rice protein. I mean, if you kind of think about it, a lot of the animals that we get our protein from, cows and whatnot, where do they get theirs from? Mm. They get it from plants and vegetables. So that's kind of, I just kind of cut out the middleman by eating a little bit more plants hmm. and vegetables. Yeah. Cool. That's something to think about. Yeah. Um, so kind of shifting gears a bit about something more of like a current topic going on today. Um, you know, we're in December and in recent, a lot of people have heard in the news, the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine has, has come out. Um, there's obviously been a lot of discussion about, um, you know, getting people vaccinated and how we can um, encourage people to get vaccinated. Um, and one of the issues is the, um, the relationship, the fractured relationship between medical professionals and the black community because of years of um, inequities, mistreatment, uh, and so on. So um, as a current medical student go, moving on into physician in the next uh, few months, um, what, do, what do you think about how the medical system uh, can do and can go about um, repairing that relationship and encouraging people um, to get vaccinated, especially considering how much of an impact that COVID-19 has had, particularly on the black community. Right. So it's going to, that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of patience. I mean, we have centuries of mistrust to kind of work through um, and building black community back up to trust medicine. I mean, even my own parents and friends, they still don't trust the flu shot. And this is, you mm -hmm. know, uh, particularly frustrating for me um, in the medical field and kind of constantly having to remind my parents to take medications. Um, so I think it'll definitely take time and a lot of patience. Um, but I think it kind of comes with uh, changing how medicine looks like right now. Like black people make up about 30, 13% of the United States population, but only 5% are in the medical field. Um, if you don't see anyone who doesn't look like you, you're less likely to trust them and kind of take their advice. And the only reason I've had success with my parents in terms of their adherence to medications because they see me, they trust me, and they acknowledge the knowledge that I've attained over these last four years. And I think that's going to 
we're going to do that at a larger scheme on the United States healthcare. Yeah. And, and kind of going off of that, um, which you touched on a bit, you know, your, your, um, your third year experiences. Um, but what were your interactions like specifically like with your black patients? And did you feel like you were able to um, build a better rapport with them um, because they maybe saw someone that looked like them and someone maybe they felt like they could trust or what were your interactions like in regards to that? And they are all amazing. It's like um, you get that, that brief moment of telepathy and you just like look them in the eyes and, you know, not <laughs> one word is exchanged, but they look at you and you can tell that they're proud of you and and you just kind of give them that look of satisfaction. Like, I'm glad I could be there, like, as a part of your care. Yeah. Um, it's, like, it's a real magical experience. You can meet patients and, and they kind of see themselves in you. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I've still a few more months, like you said, step, but uh, I'm looking forward to, to that opportunity during third year for sure. Yeah, it's worth it, man. It's worth it. Keeping on that same track of clinics, um, Dylan, what specialties specific are you trying to aim towards or you're aiming towards right now and why yeah, right did you now, choose that i'm right now i'm looking to adolescent medicine um or transition medicine um I, I did my adolescent medicine rotation about two weeks ago and i got to see a lot of um underrepresented minorities in the clinic um, who kind of just didn't have any type of support system um mm. it just kind of got me thinking i wish i had a physician like the adolescent medicine doc i was working with when I was growing up and I feel like I could have bypassed a lot of the struggles and the, uh, the mental gymnastics I had to work through as an adolescent and young adult, if I had a physician kind of in my corner, uh, like the one I was working with. So I kind of want to serve in that role. Um, thinking about transitional medicine, that's essentially working with uh, pediatric patients who have chronic illnesses like uh, kidney disease, sickle cell disease, things like that. Mm. Um, it kind of helped navigate them as they transition from pediatrics to adult medicine. And I just had a couple experiences on my um, pediatrics acting internship that kind of encouraged me that I would like that, like working with that patient population. Very nice. Yeah. It's interesting that you, uh, you say that because I've actually, um, I watched a, a documentary before um, and one of the, the issues that they talked about was um, younger patients, specifically young black patients with sickle cell, um, and how many times when they go into um, to to the physician, to doctor, emergency room, whatever for care, particularly when they're in pain, um, sometimes there's you know a mistrust that they're maybe just be coming to get the pain medication um, or or different things like that. So I definitely think that's an area you know that. I, I imagine that you kind of see yourself um, being that bridge, particularly between with those patients. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was on my pediatric pain medicine rotation and um, there's a 15 year old girl I'm admitted for pain crisis, uh, secondary to sickle cell disease. And I remember we were rounding on her in the afternoon and um, she was just in extreme pain. She wasn't responsive. Um, she was crying. So um, I knelt down beside her bed and we watched TikTok for like 30 minutes until her mom wow. came in. Um, so it was a very powerful moment. I was able to connect with her um, through TikTok of all things. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what you're able to do in that field and uh, kind of make some changes and make some improvements. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, kind of like moving away from school and medicine um, for a minute. Uh, you know, obviously you're, you're a busy guy, you're a medical student, um, as well as all the other things you have going on. But what are some of the things you you enjoy doing outside of medicine um, to kind of de-stress and, and what have you seen as the benefits for you when you take time to, to do those activities? Yeah. So um, 
I do love working out. I love going to the gym, which has been a little bit of a challenge during the pandemic. Um, but I'm in South Carolina where they're a little bit looser with the restrictions. So mm. I'm still able to go to the gym, but I'm a little bit more cautious. I wear a mask um, with a little bit more space in between the fabric. So I'm not inhaling fabric <laughs> if I'm breathing too hard. Right. Um, and I usually go around like around seven o'clock at night when there's like maybe four or five people in the gym at a time. So I'm able to space out. Um, but I love to work out consistently. If I, I know if I go two more days without working out, I just get this mental fog and it's not good for anybody. Mm. Um, my dad always tells me you can't do any good if you're no good. So I always try to make sure I'm in a good headspace. I mean, one thing that I've gotten into, um, especially when the gyms were closed, is like mindfulness walking. Mm. Um, so taking a 10 to 20 minute walk and kind of just um, like feeling the air travel through my lungs, feeling uh, my feet touch the ground with each step, feeling the arm swing. I find like mm. that kind of um, brings me out of good headspace as well. So yeah. little things. For sure. And I think one of the challenges that, that people, students all specifically often face is that like, you know, when they take that time away, they feel like they're, that's time that could be spent studying. So it's kind of hard for people to kind of like step away sometimes. So how do you manage that to kind of ensure that you keep your head like in a good space and, but also maintain a, a balance between, you know, fitness, which is important to you and, and keeping your head right, but also making sure, you know, you're getting enough time studying and preparing for your exams and rotations and things like that. Yeah, I quickly realized that I'm more productive if I've taken care of myself first. Um, so whenever I'm doing my calendar for the week, some of the first things that I put on there are either like the mindfulness meditation or like an hour to hour and a half gym session. And I know if I get those things out of the way, then I'm more likely to be more motivated and more intentional about um, my work. So I, I it's, it kind of takes a little bit more intention about like pulling yourself away from the books and getting those things done. Because there have been times where I would feel guilty for going on a walk or going to the gym, but mm. at the same time, I'd be sitting at my desk for three hours, not really retaining anything. And then I would mm. go to the gym anyway and find myself um, able to retain a lot more information. So if I would have been very... more intentional about getting that out of the way, you know, probably could have had a very uh, productive study session. That's a good point you make. That's a really good point. You got to take care of yourself before you get bogged down into the books and you're still, you're just wasting time. You're not efficient. You're not being the best not performing the best. Um, what advice would you give pre-medical students or medical students incoming now that you're a fourth year looking back, looking at your younger self coming in, what advice would you give us next generation med students, pre-med students, um, you know, how to maneuver through the medical school modules and blocks? Yeah, and this is like a piece of advice I'm telling myself, especially through interview season and um, especially just taking my step two boards. Um, be kind to yourself. I feel like as pre-med students and medical students, we're probably our hardest critics. Like we'll tell our parents, you know, uh, I passed this exam, you know, I didn't do that well. And our parents would be so excited for us, but, you know, we didn't get the mark that we wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that kind of takes um, away from the celebration of us being in medical school and like kind of following our dreams. So kind of just be kind and show yourself compassion. Um, there's a lot of things I was stressing about, like during the first two years, even trying to get into med school that in hindsight, didn't really make much of a difference. Um, especially if you're uh, in a medical school that has a pass-fail curriculum, like you don't, you don't have to get that high B. You, you can just, you can take care of yourself. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule uh, to come on and talk to us and, and dropping some knowledge and just sharing your experience, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much, Dylan. Thanks again to Dylan for taking some time out of the busy residency interview season to talk to us. 
We wish him all the best in the process, and we look forward to seeing what he accomplishes as the years go on. So that wraps it up for our 2020. Stay tuned in 2021. We'll have more great interviews coming to you, and you definitely don't want to miss them. So thank you all for listening, and as always, believe in yourself, and remember, your future patients are counting on you.